thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Sooner or Later Sports Show. I'm your host, Jay. We've got a special guest on here from 24-7 over at the Sooner Illustrated site. We've got Colin Kennedy. Colin, what's going on, man? I, I got to tell you, so let's start here. And I was telling him a little bit before the show, but I got to give my guy some credit. My schedule these past couple months, not just starting up Sooner's Illustrated, but just trying to survive, as this guy knows well has been anything but status quo. So I not only appreciate being here on the show, but also like the patience that this man has implemented trying to get me on here. It's been very impressive. So man, I'm happy to be here, excited to talk some ball. It's one of my favorite things to do, but I also just want to say, not only one of the best content creators coming up on the OU scene, but also just a very patient individual, especially with my crazy schedule. No problem, man. I Like I said, I appreciate you pulling up with us, man. We're going to dive into some Sooner stuff. I know that all the Sooner viewers been checking out Sooner's Illustrated, watching you all grow, and this was why I wanted to definitely bring you on because being a newer site, taking over 24-7 when OU Insider left, there's a lot of, of course, moving parts for some people and understanding who the people are behind the scenes, getting the information, doing the hard work. It's always a plus to highlight you all and, uh, you, of course, you know, get your analysis. So let's dive into this first recruiting Mm. it's July and I've tried to explain this to Sooner fans at nauseum and let them know hey man the way Brent Venables does things is he doesn't want you to commit if you're going to keep doing visits and I actually appreciate that for one reason I don't want to see my players on flip watch nonstop. this helps minimize it in comparison to others and so we're in July the big names are here the official the official visit season's over where they travel nonstop in June is now done. But we've got dates. We've got Jaden Jackson coming up on the 13th. We've got Taylor Tatum decided that he's going to do his on the 21st, finally, after we've got all these dates. We'll dive into him a little bit in a bit. Williams Winery, the number one defensive lineman on 24-7 and the number one player on on three's site, he set his for August 1st, which I saw Will Fong put out there, but I don't know. I've, I've heard conflicting stories now, but we'll go yeah. with August 1st. You have um, Zion Ragin is the 18th. Yep. And that's Michael really Patterson it. McDonald. Yeah, we got Michael Patterson McDonald, the 31st. You have Casey Poe is the 12th. 12th. Yep. Um, so the list is going long of all these targets. So let's start in the trenches area. How how you feeling about Winery finally setting a date after all the back and forth with him in Georgia and Oklahoma? Yeah, I feel really good here. And this is one that I think a lot of people have had to tread lightly in reporting because whenever a program like Georgia gets involved for a five-star defensive lineman in sort of that South Central region, you have to take it very seriously. And, I mean, we've seen this to a degree play out, right, with J.J.A., Joseph Jonah Jonier, seen as a heavy Oklahoma lean. Georgia gets involved, and next thing you know, split-second turns, and this guy's going to go play in Athens. And so I think for me – and I, I, I've tried to dive into this in, in the past, but, like, I also try to take it very cautiously and seriously because Chidera Uzo-Daribe, who is Georgia's defensive ends outside linebackers coach, 
is a guy who I follow very closely since his days at Kansas and SMU. I've, I've seen him coach in person. He's a well-respected individual, always long seen as a very elite recruiter. And so when a guy like that is leading the charge for a five-star at a place like Georgia, you have to at least give this thing a lot of credit. Now, as I'll dive into on Sooners Illustrated, I've been trying to take a couple of breaks before we really dive into like we're talking about this crazy stretch. I've been talking to a lot of people, and the thing I come back to, right, is if it were to be Georgia, I feel like that would have had to happen almost essentially right away. And why is that? Because momentum like that must be capitalized on when you are going up against relationships that are in place, like are in Norman, Oklahoma. It's no secret. Williams Winery has the best relationships, bar none, with Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and the rest of that Oklahoma staff. Mm-hmm. The comfortability there, even with like his head coach out there, that everyone in williams Winery circle is heavily connected and fond of what OU's got going on with that coaching staff. And it's been very prevalent, has given the Sooners a lead to this point. And so with your Georges of the world coming into the race a little bit late, trying to overtake Oklahoma, that that essentially is like the equivalent. You know how in the movies you, you see that one in the back and they overtake right at the last second and they hit the yes. finish line? Like that's what probably needed to happen here. But we hit the dead period. A week goes by. You know, people are saying it's still very positive in favor of Georgia, but nothing really happens. And so now here we are today. Williams Winery is telling people he has decided where he's probably going to go. He just – needs to iron some things out. And in my opinion, while it's not done, like I mentioned, if it were to be Georgia, I feel like we would have known already. And so with Oklahoma having those longstanding relationships in place, those are going to continue to play out in their favor. And in my opinion, it's why OU was going to be able to hold a commanding lead. And if challenged, it would have had to be overtaken pretty quickly towards the end. And I think Oklahoma fans should be feeling good about where things head with Williams when they're down the stretch. That was the one thing I noticed, too, was if it was going to be Georgia, why haven't we seen a single prediction get put in, like, right after that visit? Man, and I asked Parker Thune, your counterpart over to OU Insider, and I asked that yeah. on his space on a Friday. I'm like, hey, man, that was the one thing that jumped out to me. There's not a one insider that would not get information that, oh, I think we're going to win him, that wouldn't put in, you know what I'm saying, a prediction, a future cast, a crystal something because you're going to get that information, enough intel to say, oh, I'm confident with this. That told me immediately that, oh, yeah, this, this probably ain't going to happen. <laughs> this is, there's, the hill is too steep for them to fight up. And I think I'm more intrigued by the fact that it seems like they came in on him so late. It's like, right. what took so long for you to really go after? I mean, I get it. It's Georgia. They go after every single player on the defensive line. They, get, they land a lot of top ones, but he's been the top dude for a bit. And for it to take so long for them to really jump into the game, told me, yeah, I think you a little too little too late is what I felt. Especially because one thing that helps when you're trying to cover that ground with a five-star, right, is typically like the glitz and the glam and, and mm-hmm. all that comes with that recruiting. And we know who we're talking about here. We're talking about Williams Winnery. He's not a glitz and glam five-star. He's a relationship-based five-star. He, he needs to go somewhere where he's comfortable. He knows people. He's going to have people in his corner. And Georgia, I'm not going to say they're a glitz and glam program because I think that they are elite in relationship building, and we see it time and again. 
I think Georgia does a lot better job than a lot of other programs in the SEC at balancing the relationship aspect with the glitz and glam of we win all these national championships and produce all these NFL draft picks. Yep. But because that relationship needed to be built so quickly, it's hard to then implement your glitz and glam that you have going for you. And it closes time and again. I give Georgia a ton of props because look what they did with JJA. I mean, they entered the base and got it done just like that because, again, relationships and glitz and glam. Yeah, but true, in when Mary's case, you take out that glitz and glam factor and it's really kind of based on relationships. How much can you actually tip that scale in your favor coming in so late? And so that's why, again, OU was going to have some fighting off to do. And I, I, you could argue they still do. But those relationships are longstanding, and because they've been there for so long, it is hard to knock over a stone that's been built up and built up over time. And, uh, again, I just don't see that necessarily being overtaken, especially when we are in the middle of an area where visits are not taking place. You can't see more about a program. It's really coming down to who you're talking to. And when Williams Winery talks to you, it's pretty positive. See, and that, that's what I'm talking about there. And it may, and it's funny because as you talk about relationships, that's you hit the nail on the head there. It makes me think when I see him, he reminds me a lot more of like P.J. Adebayo when he yeah. was on his commitment because he committed July 10th uh, of last year. And he's such a quiet dude. Like getting him to do an interview, I have a buddy that has another channel, uh, the PG show, uh, Preston Gant. He tried to get him numerous times. And he's just kind of like, mm, it's not my thing. And it seems like Winery's the exact same personality, and they're both from the same area. So there's high selling points. Caden Green coming down here from there as well. It's, it's, there's so, like you said, there's so many ties that helps out. And uh, JJA felt like he's a little bit more, he has more personality in comparison, I guess you could say. He likes to do interviews and talk. So I can see that Georgia kind of winning his heart, even though I think that was one of his schools that he loved anyway. But with right. all the stuff even circling Georgia right now, with all the issues, man, it, it feels like, surprisingly, they've been able to do a really good job of suppressing it, getting out the facts that they can, and make it to where it's not adversely hurting their recruiting. But, um, yeah, I, this is the one player that I was like, man, if there's one I'm comfortable with outside of, you know, a David Son, and we'll talk about him in a second, I, I thought Winery was definitely going to come here. So let's jump into that now. That's – this defensive line that we're recruiting, and we're talking to Colin Kennedy here from 24-7 uh, from the Sooners Illustrated site. Look, I saw the White Gilmore graphic. Everybody did. And he obviously feels confident that he his class that he's going to be a part of is going to be huge. And so uh, we had Nigel Smith, which will be in September. Uh, but the big name that everybody wants to know about is David Stone. We know that He's literally here all the time, but we don't have a date. Is there a timeline out there that we think that we that we have any confidence in as far as him coming up with his commitment? Will it be close to his friends, Michael Patterson McDonald's, or will it be closer to Caden Durham's, which is in late August? Like, yeah. have we even heard anything when it comes to him? I, if I had to give you kind of the middle of the ground, like split it, and that's a realistic time frame. I will tell you early August. Like, okay, that's fair. The the roller coaster we've been on, 
obviously I'm talking to a lot of people behind the scenes. Brandon Drum Parkinson and I were coworkers, so we we continue to bounce off of each other, see what we're seeing. You know, Josh McCush and I are very close friends as well. He's a great dude. Like it's all coming down to like, okay, these are all these different narratives that we're hearing regarding David Stone and when this thing could wrap up and who it might be. What what makes the most sense? And I would tell you that to me, just my personal opinion, early August feels like a realistic time frame here. Because July, we, we've heard that David Stone would like to take a few more visits, right? Things will open back up and allow him to do so if he so chooses. Late August feels just like a little bit of a stretch for me. I, that would be more so tied into other stuff going on rather than his own personal timeline. And so Mm-hmm. In my opinion, just looking at it objectively, early August makes the most sense. And it, this is especially true when you look at, like we were talking about, some of the other potential decisions coming up along the way when we talk about defensive yeah. line. So we let's know that williams Renner is coming up soon. That would play a huge role, of course, in David Stone's decision. Jaden Jackson's coming up in a little nugget here. He's committing on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. I encourage you at home to go subscribe. It's a fantastic product. I did a lot personally behind the scenes to help build that thing up. But one thing that I did before returning to the Oklahoma beat, as I was telling you, is run live commitments for CBS Sports and 24-7. And I'm here to tell you right now, the way that those processes play out and how Jaden Jackson's is currently is, I don't think this one's decided yet. I, we're, what, two days away from him going live on our YouTube channel? And it might be a little bit more wide open than people would expect. And this is as of like a few hours ago before hopping on your show. So wow. who who knows what happens, but like why I bring that up, who knows? Jane Jackson could go to Texas, he'd go to Oklahoma, he'd go wherever. But if Jane Jackson were to choose Oklahoma on some wild 180, that is one of David Stone's close personal friends. That's what we documented in Sooners Illustrated all over the beat. Stone was on Jane Jackson's visit like that. He made an effort to join. Him. And if that domino falls in Oklahoma's favor, I, I mean, at that point, it's fair game. So I think you line all of this stuff up and you just say to yourself, like early August feels like that resolute opportunity to get this thing done. If you'd like to lead a class, he knows where certain individuals are going and now he can wrap it up before his season at ING and just play sports. And and to me, that makes a lot of sense for a guy like David Stone. Yeah, I was sensing that as well, that going back to ING be better for him to already be committed than it is to try to play play the games and then travel to all these places. Because if anything, I don't have much fear in Oklahoma not winning the Stone sweepstakes. A lot of people are really worried because it's taken so long. But the one thing that would concern me is is the fact that he is in Florida and he's right there with Miami who's going to find a way to find money. I know they're struggling right now with money, but they're going to find money. Florida's going to probably try to find money. Everybody out there is going to – Florida State's going to probably say, you know what, we may as well throw our hat name in the game, you know, in the hat because he's up the street around the corner. So I can see those Florida teams really harping on on trying to get him as part of their classes just because he's out there. But if he's locked up – and, you know, as I mentioned before, the Brent Venables rules and regulations is once you're committed, you commit it, be done. That will hopefully shut down a lot of the concerns and we won't be on really on flip watch going into the season. Correct. I think the biggest thing there is if it goes into 
September through December rather than even late August, which I've also heard as a potential time frame. If it goes into like mid to late September or beyond, that's when the concern comes because you hit the nail on the head. In my opinion, the school I've always kind of circled as the primary challenger to Oklahoma is Miami, not just because of the proximity base, but that staff has made it very evident to guys like our director of recruiting, Steve Wilfong and others, uh, Andrew Ivins, our director of scouting, like that staff has put out feelers basically saying like, hey, our goal in this cycle after signing a historic offensive line class this past one is to bring in a historic defensive line class to go with that offensive line group we brought in the cycle go. And so David Stone has been a part of that target group for a very long time. And he's, of course, at IMG right down the road. If it were to extend beyond a reasonable time frame, it's probably because Miami's really trying to get this thing done. But I, I'll tell you this, Oklahoma's big pitch to David Stone continues to be, you are the kingpin the moment you make this commitment. Why not go ahead and get that thing done and add to your class, make this your group the way you see it. And I think David Stone is someone who would be receptive to that message, especially before going out and playing his senior ball. Oh, yeah, I totally can see that because you bring him in and all those other dominoes are going to want to follow. And this will be a historical defensive line walking into SEC. Heck, there's a chance we could see some freshmen playing in SEC football for Oklahoma. And how exciting is that? I mean, Georgia's selling point, of course, is, oh, you call me, you play the SEC, you play for a national championship. Cool. Right. Bama has a similar selling point. Tennessee's going to be pushing that. LSU does as well. But the crazy thing is, is that with a lot of them, sometimes you only need a year of tape. And that's cool. But some of these kids want two to three years of playing. They want to say, I was their dominant for years. They want to get to those national accolades, which are a lot easier when you've been viewed for a few years rather than walking in year one and getting your one year of tape that's going to send you to the league. But having only one year of tape that, you know, you got to bust your butt the entire season to get attention. They want attention early, in which, granted, they do that with Oklahoma. They can have it. Got this next one. Let's jump into the big one. Colin Kennedy from 24-7 and the Sooners Illustrated site has joined us. This one, to me, has been a fun marathon. I'm going to say fun because I don't, I don't get worked up when things get a little bit delayed because I understand, as we mentioned at the beginning of the recording, I know life happens, things happen, and I know that sometimes patience is a virtue and you, get, you can benefit from that. Taylor Tatum. This has been coming down the line. I went on a USC channel right when it looked like Oklahoma, he was leaning that direction, and boy, did the USC people run on me. I was getting attacked nonstop, and I got that, and I totally understood, you know, you know, Lincoln Riley, all of that. I had no beef with that, that transition, but I digress on that. All of the crystal balls, future casts, and predictions that flew literally right after champion barbecue mm -hmm. felt like it just shook him it just shook tatum to be like oh pull back why is all this information getting out so fast and then you started seeing it from like everywhere in the country you know a ruckers do put one in michigan you got <laughs> texas <laughs> nebraska it's like where are these people coming from so i'm asking this for this particular reason two questions one Tell me how comfortable, whatever level of comfort you are about Tatum, talk to us about him, 
But the biggest one I want to understand is why is everybody putting in these future casts and all of this stuff? Is it just to get the numbers up or to bring the attention? What's the point? <laughs> well, I was one of them, first of all, and I, you don't I, count. I, I'll own up to it. I mean, I I was basing mine off of Intel, right? Yes. Now, everybody else, I mean, look, I I'm not gonna put some overarching statement out there, but like sometimes certain reporters like their layups. You know what I mean? I know how that game goes. You know what I mean? So like. If someone else is putting in a crystal ball, I might as well up my percent. I again, like that doesn't apply to certain people. I'm just saying it's a it's an interesting trick of the trade that doesn't mm-hmm. apply to everybody, but maybe a few. You know, if you're out there getting offended, maybe that, that's the shoe that fits. So here's my thing. So we've do- we talked about this so much. You know what I mean? I was on the recruiting show up in Nashville for 24-7 sports talking about Taylor Tatum. Steve Wilfong was as well. I was literally on the phone with sources regarding Tatum before I went live. And I can tell you this, like, it's kind of the same stuff I've been saying for a while that everyone's been saying for a while, for that matter. It's Taylor Tatum went on that visit and it was heavy USC. And I, I kind of took it on myself as a member at Sooners Illustrated. You know this. Mm-hmm. I took it upon myself to try and report on behalf of both Oklahoma and USC. Right. And as a, a former national college football guy, like I, I sometimes try to portray each side of the argument. Mm-hmm. And USC was the clear-cut leader. And what they did on their official visit is well-documented. But when Taylor Tatum was going to take that official visit, OU staff was very confident in the ability to cover Brown. And that had to do with, number one, DeMarco Murray, right? His relationship with Tatum's father, his relationship with Tatum himself. It, it's incredible. It, it's really second to none, in my opinion. But then Skip Johnson, Reggie Willits, they come in with that detailed plan regarding baseball. And if you don't know by now, Taylor Tatum's a really darn good football player out, or football player and baseball player out here in the state of Texas. And it's a passion of his. And look, young people want to pursue passions. It's just how that works. And so rather than like, I don't know, I mean, at his age, you could be on TikTok or something. Taylor Channel wants to go play baseball. So, oh, you said, hey, man, you want to come here and play baseball? You can play baseball. And you can play baseball and football in the SEC. And the other thing that I've hinted at at Sooners Illustrated that I'll drop a nugget here on the show, other thing that's really helped with OU and Taylor Tatum is a guy named Caden Durr. Now, look, Oklahoma, they had both those guys on the visit that weekend, correct? Yes. Caden Durham and Taylor Tatum were more so separate entities. And I think on that visit, as I've written in the past, that relationship became a little bit more intertwined than originally seen. Now, they're going to make independent decisions. And Caden Durham is still highly entertaining schools like LSU just as Taylor Tatum is still entertaining USC, right? LSU's trying to get Caden Durham back on campus sometime this month. Taylor Tatum is still ironing out his decision. But I would tell you that on that visit, on top of Skip Johnson and DeMarco Murray and Reggie Willis, Caden Durham and Taylor Tatum hit it off a little bit. And that potential partnership, especially for guys like I wrote about at Sooners Illustrated who want to play baseball, who want to run track, want to do different things. 
Caden Durham wants to catch passes out of the backfield. Taylor Tatum doesn't want to carry the ball 40 times a game because he wants to be healthy. He wants his legs fresh for baseball. Having that now potentially in place as a relationship that could work in Oklahoma's advantage, it's not signed, sealed, delivered, but like now that awareness is at least present. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, 100%. I think that was fascinating that you said that because that was the one thing I was thinking about this whole deal is Caden Durham and Taylor Tatum basically selling each other on we ain't got to, like you said, we ain't got to carry about 40 times. We can literally split this 15-15. Then you bring in Xavier Robinson and there's another 15. That's 45 carries between three dudes and whoever's the hot hand can, of course, keep running, keep breaking out and doing big things, but it also keeps us fresh for this. Honestly, I feel like the sports that they both prefer for Durham and Tatum is track and baseball. I think that that's number one on both of their books, but they're so good at football, it makes it easy for them to be able to get a scholarship that and be able to do both. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. That's what I feel like. And that's when crazy. it comes to all these running backs, it's, isn't this interesting to talk about? Like, this is why I've tried to fill in our members. <laughs> this like, if you really look at it, okay, Taylor Tatum, number one running back in the country for us at 24-7 sports. He wants to play baseball. He didn't want to run the ball a ton. All props to him. Caden Durham, he makes plays out of the backfield. He is a sprinter. He wants to run track at an Olympic level, by the way. He doesn't have to worry about that either. Xavier Robinson can run the rock short yardage, but he also can do a lot of different things on the football field. He is big. He is built well. If you want to use him as an H-back, fullback type, he can do that. You want to run him out of the backfield, he can do that. I mean, hey, he can do a lot of different things. Let's keep this even going. Andy Bass can do whatever you want him to do on the football field. That's true. All these guys don't have to impact the other's production. You see, and they, and honestly, they help the others pursue other passions that they have. And so for Oklahoma, this is just kind of the same thing you were doing with Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes. And it yep. worked, but to even a further degree, because Barnes and Sawchuk weren't playing baseball and running track. So that's why I think when you look at Taylor Tatum, Oklahoma's in a really solid position coming out of all of this. And obviously, like you mentioned, Caden Durham's decision is a long ways to go. As I've told our members of Sooners Illustrated, LSU wants him to get back on campus. I don't know that it's going to happen for sure, but Oklahoma continues its pursuit, and its pursuit is positive. Taylor Tatum in the same boat. I personally have my crystal ball in, like we started this, this discussion, and I'm keeping it there. And as I continue to say, I think Oklahoma is a very positive position. And to round it out, I kept telling y'all at Sooners Illustrated that everyone was telling me Taylor Tatum would choose a commitment date and probably hop on Longview Game Day, an outstanding product out there in East Texas, and he would have a firm decision frame to celebrate a well-earned opportunity. Fun little story time here. I mentioned I was going to do this on the show, right? Yep. A lot of a lot of Twitter accounts out there. Maybe you're at home a USC fan or Oklahoma fan. You've seen a lot of people tweeting stuff out about maybe inadvertently a one Taylor Tatum and this timeline that they've suddenly decided that they're going to make up for some retweets and some likes. I see that as well. I relate to you at home. And believe it or not, I'm the guy that has to ask the people who know whether or not I need to know that this is true. Mm-hmm. And I had a source who told me all these different things say, man, they, why do these fans think he's committing every single day? They're just going to keep saying he's committing on a certain day until they're right. Well, like I told you, he's going to pick a time 
and it's going to be a date to celebrate. And now we are awaiting July 21st, where I believe Oklahoma will likely land some good news. That sounds good, man. That would make that sounds like between four and five five star potentials coming for this class. You think the Sooners can push for one of those historical Alabama or Texas A&M classes and push it towards, you know, six to eight? Look, like they asked me the other day on a recruiting show, what is a realistic finish for this OU class? Mm-hmm. And if it isn't in the top eight to four, that's got to be a disappointment before you get this class on the field for the SEC. Yep. So, but I mean, you look at just some of the other names we haven't even touched on. You mentioned Nigel Smith briefly. Nigel Smith is a massive recruiting win Oklahoma needs. They have to get that thing done desperately. <laughs> Zeno Umiazulu, I'm gonna put a report out on Sooners Illustrated. I man, I gotta be careful, but like I'm buying in a little bit. Are you I'm you, you, you taking in the hopium? Have you been taking the hopium? <laughs> careful now, careful now. Uh that's one. It could, I don't know, still kind of like lean Texas, but it's becoming a little bit more optimistic for Oklahoma side of things than maybe even a few days ago, at least from people I talked to down here in DFW. Eli Bowen could be sometime soon. Priority cornerback target. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other guys out there who could end up wrapping things up in the month of July or even early August. And look, man, it, this is the month or so that you've been waiting for as an Oklahoma fan. So keep that patience. I'm telling you, these dominoes, they could fall. They could be pretty big, sizable dominoes that are falling in a hurry. Yep, and going right into the first game of the season, I could see our class being at almost 20 players at that point because of so many dominoes that could fall. And for those that aren't initiated, let me explain the new official rule, official visits rule that just came down that went to effect July 1st. Players have unlimited official visits, but they can only visit schools once. Unless they're committed to them, then they can go back and keep seeing them as much as they want to. And so my anticipation is that if you get everything locked down before the first game of the season, you get majority of your players in class, put it this way. They can keep visiting while other players are coming in to visit and try to do the recruiting game. That, to me, sounds like the selling point we're hearing. That's probably why July and August are going to be huge for the Sooners. You really look at it, honestly, real quick. Like, And I think this is, again, a testament to what we're talking about. When you look at OU's board and you actually ask yourself, like, how many of these guys does that rule actually apply to? Like, how many of these recruits are you concerned about taking all those official visits? There are going to be so many guys who potentially be wrapped up in July and August. I, the names off the top of my head would be, like, Danny Okoye, maybe Devin Jordan. And, like, outside of that, I, there's just not Dominic McKinley, but Dominic McKinley, so reserved and quiet. Who knows what that guy's going to do? So it's pretty it's pretty interesting when you think about who OU is recruiting and how these timelines end up matching up. You know what I'm and saying? And that's fair. And that's it's fair. That's, yeah, that's fair. That's the one. The I think the one player I thought Dominic McKinley was the one that I felt like probably won't be till early signing day. Now, he seems like an early enrollee guy, but I feel like he's, it's going to go the stretch just because, like you said, he's so quiet. Nobody can pull any information out of him. Uh, our, our Texas site, Horns 24-7, they do an outstanding job. They talk to his mom in depth about everything. And even then, they were still calling me being like, what do you know about Dominic? 
and, See? and it's just this test. Like that's everyone in the recruiting space right now, truthfully. But hey, he, his mom and Dominic McKinley and his little brother, they love them some Todd Bates, man. And oh. they, they love them some David Stone. You know what I mean? Hey, so. the way that the Sooner fans have been ripping up Bates and all the message boards on every single site about him, he brings in Dominic McKinley. They can never question that man again in their life. That would be the largest haul to yank him out of the state of Louisiana. Even, even though some people have told me Lafayette, it's not really, they're not that big on LSU. I don't care. I think you're lying to me. I feel like you're lying to me because it feel, it's Louisiana. It's that's that LSU is life. The Mardi Gras colors are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. That's how you yank them kids in. They're raised on Mardi Gras. They're raised on King Cake. They understand though, that color yeah. scheme is life. And so they yeah. gravitate to it. It's like hypnosis, it feels like in some capacity, yeah. right? That's how it is living in Louisiana. And so I say that because my daughter goes to LSU. And so um, that is uh, something that I, you know, terrorize her on a regular basis about. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk last pieces on trenches we've kind of gone long but this has been fantastic man i appreciate it colin kennedy pulling up from 24 7 o-line the class we talked about in the green room a little bit we know that fans aren't very happy with beating bowls performance on the recruiting trail as if they think they know well enough about how he's doing i'm looking at how and this is my theory I kind of feel like beating Bo does a lot better with bringing in transfers on top of his recruits because transfers twofold. One, they kind of come in humble. They actually understand the game, understand playing college football. They're like, oh, I got things to sharpen, especially if they're really talented. They're like, mm, I still got things to sharpen. But he gets them in, gets them developed, and then we send them, send them off as first-round draft picks. Something that we can expect. What is it looking like for you on the trail with with Beating Bo and his recruitment? Because I know that he's kind of an aloof. He's the nicest dude, but he's just meh. He's just there, and so it seems like those are the guys in recruiting you, you, you kind of see a struggle with. But they always develop and make and players love them down the line. What what are you seeing with that? So Bill is elite, and this is what's funny. You you brought up exactly that in the same summer where fans are trying to trash on Bill Beatonville. Everyone is talking about how he might have an electric offensive tackle duo out of the transfer portal. Like they might have one of the best pairings of tackles in the Big 12 going into the season. And everyone's talking about this at the same time everyone's complaining about recruiting efforts, but like both those guys came from the portal. So what on top of this, how do I put this? There are cycles that we observe in recruiting that arguably the roller coaster goes up and down, right? Mm-hmm. Some, some cycles are a little bit more in-depth in terms of offensive line talent than others. In my opinion, this isn't necessarily an offensive line class in general that is littered with talent specifically in this region. And, like, you, mm-hmm. it's funny to me because, like, we're complaining about this now, but like Caden Green, Bill Beanbow lands that guy just last cycle. Oh, uh, the sun falling down. And the <laughs> flip side of this, everyone on Sooners Illustrated who follows my work knows exactly what I'm about to say. 2024, maybe a little bit down, but man, y- y'all have no idea what Bill Beanbow is doing in 2025 with some of the nation's best at offensive line spots. 
You look at some of these dudes out here. I re- I've reported on this thoroughly. Michael Fasusi, Lamont Rogers, Ty Haywood, Douglas Uchip. The list goes on and on. Jalen Beckley. I mean, there are so many da- so many guys up front in 2025, just like the cycle before, that Bill Beanbow is recruiting heavily. And the transfer portal isn't even a factor right now. Right. I would just tell you, at the end of the day, more offers are going out along the offense line in 2024. Those evaluations are part of a period that I feel, and I tell parents and kids this all the time, we just completely disregard senior eval season because we want every single recruit on our board by the start of fall. When in reality, recruits should be playing their best ball their senior year. Probably a pretty good opportunity to eval, right? So Bill Beanbo, you're seeing these offers come out. He's probably a little bit more encouraged with further development in this 2024 class, one that, again, I I don't feel like is as in-depth as maybe a few others. And that's not a knock on certain guys because I think the guys that OU have been going after are wildly talented. Casey Puck, Bennett Warren. Let me tell you this real quick. I pulled up to Fort Bend Christian Academy covering Remington Strickland's recruitment. You remember that name from Low Blast? Yes. (laughs) I pulled up to Fort Bend Christian Academy to see Remington Strickland when it was between Oklahoma and Texas A&M, and Bennett Warren struts out there basically like an eighth grader, and that whole staff was telling us that game, that's the next one up. He has always been a wildly talented individual before he even knew what he was doing. Bennett, Casey, Grant Bricks is going to be an elite offensive tackle at the next level. Mm-hmm. Cade Massey is another one that has so much upside despite being obviously an eight-man football out in Kansas. Everyone was in on that race for a reason. Kansas State needed to get him. At the end of the day, man, like there are just some cycles, and this just applies to everyone in, in recruiting, some cycles where you have to kind of take your lumps because the way that the cycle pans out and the way that recruitments go, you just have to pivot accordingly. The thing is, as we have literally seen with Oklahoma going into the Big 12 this season with the lead offensive tackles potentially, the transfer portal plays a factor. Sometimes you win a cycle, sometimes you don't. And I'm not even saying Bill Beanbow's losing this one because, again, he's offering more and more along the way at an opportune time to evaluate offensive linemen who have to be further developed. It's a hard time to get off the line talent these days, man. It's really hard. We don't talk about it, but as an evaluator, I know offensive lines, it's, it's really brutal to find one that's worth your time and get it. And that's why I think Bill Beanbow is going through a stretch where – it's a very common type of thing to go through as any college coach in America. It's just because Oklahoma fans are at times eccentric that it's spoiled. 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 It's a spotlight that just really shouldn't be from the get go. Right, right. Just spoiled riding. Just spoiled brats. We're, we're used to Joe Moore contending lines every year, and we still have Joe Moore contending lines. Every year, so I'm trying to figure out. Now I know uh, Sharon Moore is killing it at Michigan. You know he's won two in yeah. a row, but we're still contending every year for Joe Moore Award. So, like you said, the bookends we got on the tackle position, Rouse and Guyton. Jeez, I remember when we when Guyton last year. That's when I first really started this channel. Guyton was one of the few first guys I did a review on. I looked at him at TCU. I said, I think they just found themselves a diamond in the rough. There's something about his nimbleness, his – I mean, hell, he big man catch touchdowns. That's always a big thing for me too. But there's something about him. He's raw, but if they get him right, he could be special. That leads perfectly into the next topic. Oh. All right. Big 12 first team. 
That came down from the media. I saw it. Ethan Downs being on there. He was on last year. Made sense. I felt like there was one snub. One. Just one that jumped out to me that I was like, this is criminal. It's Tyler Guyton. After watching what Guyton did to Jared Verse in that bowl game. Incredible. And battling him like he did. Because I even saw an interview. Verse basically was like, yeah, he's probably one of the best dudes ever won against this season. And it was like a mutual respect. And I was like, yeah. And so watching him battle it out, no, Guyton was prepared. He didn't win every battle, but he won vast majority. And so not seeing him on that list was criminal. That's the only player that, that I was just like, yeah, y'all y'all wrong. Even with Stutzman having 100 and something tackles, I was listening to the Oklahoma breakdown, and Teddy was kind of mentioning, you know, how, yeah, having over 100 tackles means you probably was just getting a whole bunch of, you know, stat padding because of how bad the defense was. Fair point. Not even going to argue right. that. But the fact that Guyton wasn't on there after what he was doing and even just going up to that bowl game bothered me. Did you see any snubs that you thought should have gotten some consideration on the Big 12 um, on that team? Those are the two to highlight, right? And I kind of phrase it in a way similar to you. I don't have a personal issue with Danny Sussman being left off because people look at the box score and we have a lot of folks like this in sports they just look at the stats and they say, oh, well, he had 100 some tackles. Well, you look at the linebackers who are selected. All right. Let's actually dive into this a little bit. Colin Oliver at Oklahoma State, Monster. Johnny Hodges at TCU. And then my vote, I voted in this list, my vote for defensive player of the year, Jalen Ford at Texas. Okay. The, the separator between guys like that and a guy like Danny Stutzman. When you judge a linebacker, is it just tackles he's making after six yards gained, or is it a havoc rate type of thing, right? Mm. How much are you actually disrupting the opposing offense? Because as a linebacker, especially in today's day and age, oftentimes you're just kind of catching dudes because of these spacing offenses. Now, the thing, though, is I was on a Cincinnati podcast a couple weeks ago at yeah. our Cincinnati side of 24-7, and I told him, Dave Aranda, one of the coaches I love most in college football, talks a lot about how in the Big 12, quite the opposite, we've seen a move towards 12 personnel a lot more. And what that then leads to, which is a lot of running the ball, short yardage, wide zone, stuff like that. Well, what are these guys doing that Danny Sutzman might not be doing? Why do they get selected? Why was maybe some arguments more to be made about Daniel Green at Kansas State than Danny Sutzman? Well, that's true. That's true. Because all these guys we're talking about, green included, are seen being utilized in blitz packages or pass rush or stuffing the run, tackles for loss, all that stuff. And I'm not saying Danny Sutzman doesn't do that because I know how Brent Venables like to coach up his linebackers, and I've watched Kirby Smart talk about this. He likes his linebackers to be attack forward. But you look at Colin Oliver, that's more of like a pass rushing linebacker than a true inside back. Hence why he probably gets the vote. Johnny Hodges, if you at home watch TCU football, you know that those three linebackers that they have are really just an extension of their defensive line. Their whole job is to make the opposing offensive line go, I don't know what the hell is going on, and then tackle the quarterback. And then there's Jalen Ford, who I covered when he was out here in DFW at mm -hmm. Frisco Lone Star. Many Oklahoma fans know what Frisco Lone Star is because, I don't know, a guy like Martin Mint played there. Pretty darn good football program once upon a time. 
James Ward, like when I was on the field, man, and I was watching him, he was committed to like Utah at the time. I was like, this dude, I don't know how the Utes do it. I was saying this on the side. I don't know how Utah does it, but man, they get good defensive players and they, they're going to continuously win games because mm-hmm. guys like him. And Jalen Ford makes a move to Texas. Look, man, like it's, an, again, an extension of the defense. What are you actually doing at the linebacker spot? And I can tell you this right now. Jalen Ford, Anthony Hill, my guy. A lot of OU fans know I covered Anthony Hill in depth. Those linebackers in Texas are there to wreak havoc. And Danny Stutzman, especially as the Mike backer in Oklahoma's defense, just let's just be honest. Like a lot of times his job is to make sure nothing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's not an indictment on him. He's doing what he's asked to be doing. It's just at the end of the day, like sometimes your havoc rate, your pressure ability, things of that nature end up getting you on the list rather than just your black and white. How many tackles did you have? So, right. I love that. Thank you for that breakdown because I, that's the thing I explained to a lot of people was like, yes, it's great that a guy is able to put up 30 points on a basketball team, uh, put up 50 points in a game, and his team loses by 20. That just means he had a green light to shoot the ball. That doesn't mean that he's better than anybody else on the team. He, it's just whoever's scoring today, do it because you have to do it. Same thing on the defensive side with Stutzman, as you mentioned. Yeah, he's got a bunch of tackles. His job is to make sure things don't go wrong. And he was fixing a lot of problems. That's yeah. really what it felt like he did last season looking at this defense. And so that makes me go into a conversation I had with Reggie Pearson. Um, and he came on the show and he was talking about how he he really thinks our defense is – he says it's the most talent, skill-wise defense, the best one he's ever been on, including yeah. that top two defense at Wisconsin. And so that makes you look at everybody on that list of players. And like a buddy of mine asked me, he was like, what about Desan McCullough? Why wouldn't he be on there after being an all-freshman selection up there at Indiana? And I was like, we have to see him be productive here at the Big 12. And it's no shade to what he did in Indiana. We still got to see him pull it here because they're going to beef him up and basically prepare him for the SEC. And we don't know what he's going to look like once all that extra weight is really put on his body. And so that's that's it. that's the, but that's the interesting one. Like I said, Guyton was my guy. And I, I appreciate that breakdown on defensive dudes because Anthony Hill terrifies me. I would like for him to transfer. Um, I've been trying to figure out a petition to get him to just not play for Texas ever because dude's going to be horrifying on the football. He's going to be amazing. He, he, he's probably a first-round pick one day. I mean, I've held his case. And he's, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say, like, I discovered Anthony Hill, but, like, I was one of the guys that first stumbled upon him in, like, his mm-hmm. freshman football film. And I texted the kid. I was like, how do you not have a lot of offers yet? I don't understand right. what we're doing here. But to go back to what you're saying and then to Guyton and then our next topic. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the basketball argument, right? 30 points doesn't mean a lot if you don't win. This is one of my sayings, and some of you fans who have followed my work know exactly what I'm about to say. The concepts of production and impact are two totally different things that we try to group together, and I hate it. I hate it. But if you are a player who impacts the game and you don't necessarily have the production to match, that does not make you lesser of a football player. Mm -hmm. And it's just how this works. And so – with a guy like Tyler Guyton, to go back to the other point of the argument, like he is someone who, like, you won't know because there's not production there, but he is going to have an impact on this football team that is arguably second to none. If he keeps Dylan Gabriel upright for both just a quarterbacking reason and health perspective, mm-hmm. this changes everything for OU in 2023. 
going off of that, OU brought in all those defensive linemen from the transfer portal for a reason. They're not asking these guys to come in and put up four sacks and double-digit tackles for loss. No, like, hey, make sure we don't just get blown off the ball and we'll be fine, you know, because Danny Stutzman will clean up later, right? So production versus impact is going to apply to a lot of players on this football team because of the defensive system that's ran. And it is an aggressive one, but it's an aggressive one that asks certain players to make plays, and sometimes that impacts other production. That's fine. But you got to understand, like, going off of this now and, like, how this list then reflects certain players. Look, Deshaun McCullough, transfer portal guys don't make this list, okay? And I know we wanted to talk about breakout players. So, like, kind of blending these two together, transfer portal players are not meant to make this list. It's really a list based on who's coming back that could be the class of the conference. Like, who has earned that that spot atop the mountain? Well, like, Deshaun McCullough is going to be, in my opinion, a first-teamer. Like, he – look, I've covered that guy when he was in high school. And at, at seven-on-seven seven tournaments – oh, it's seven-on-seven. Seven. Okay, I get it. Seven-on-seven seven tournaments, that dude at 6'5", 220 pounds as a high schooler, basically, was playing single-high safety in seven-on-seven seven tournaments. You know how crazy that is? And I asked him about it. I was like, what are, I was like, what are we doing? Dude. He would pull up to seven on seven tournaments. I kid you not. And Xavier and Wonkba, who was a five star for us at 24 7, five star safety playing at Iowa. They were just like, yeah, Xavier, do whatever you want because this six foot fiver has the single high safety in our defense. I was like, I told the son, I was like, I, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why. But like when you look at what he's now going to be asked to do at Oklahoma, that's what, in my opinion, fits his skill set way better than like edge play. He's not a pass rusher, even though he has the frame. He likes to be off ball. He likes to fly around and make plays. You saw it in the spring game. I think there are going to be a lot of players on this team who will end up being on this list later on down the line. They just can't do that right now because the production of the past may be there with certain transfer guys. But we really have to analyze the impact they bring to the table in the Big 12. And that's why I think OU, you're going to see a lot of aggregators out there talk about only one player selected from Oklahoma. And it's just because at some point the production has to then carry over to a new team and bring that impact that might ultimately elevate Oklahoma within this conference. No, it's a great point. And um, I even saw Phil Steele put out a little bit of love to some Sooners when he did his uh, his first team and second team. But we won't dive into that because it's a lot of uh, <laughs> there'll be questions there. But no, going back to those defensive and offensive candidates, that was actually the jump, next thing to jump into. You think McCullough is going to end up on the list? Yeah, I honestly think this might be one of, if not the best secondary in the Big 12. Am I crazy? No, no, like. And we've talked about this at Sooners Illustrated, the team and I. What? When was the last time Oklahoma had this amount of talent in the secondary? Like, honestly. I don't know. Oh, God. Um, is this back, ooh, Derek Strait era? I, I seriously <laughs> don't know the answer. Like, and look, and the reason why I asked that question, I'm not afraid to put you on the spot because I don't think a lot of people actually know. No, I don't. Very fair. And I don't know what Brandon Hall did to assemble this type of talent, specifically in the safety room, but oh my goodness. Like, you want to talk about hey, Billy Bowman? So, real quick, uh, Bud Elliott for us at 24 7 CBS talks about this all the time. He had Kent State staff on the podcast, Cover Three podcast, during the year, uh, last year. 
And they told him Billy Bowen was the best safety they coached against. Not just at Kent State. Like, you got to understand, Sean Lewis, the head coach at the time, he's now offensive coordinator at Colorado. Like, a lot of those staffers have been throughout various conferences. They said Billy Bowen was the best one that they went up against. He's getting backed up by guys like Peyton Bowen and Key Lawrence. Like, Reggie Pearson's going to be other safety probably. And Reggie Pearson's the dude that rocked Dylan Gabriel's world on that weird trip play and against sex. Like, they took out Eric Gray. I think that was his dude. favorite hit too. Oh my goodness! Like those four alone will set the tone. But then you've got again Desan McCullough, who I believe is going to be one of the Big 12's best overall defensive players, not only because of where he's slotted, but what his talent can be and the development that he needed to fit into that mold. And I just think there's so many guys that could break out on this defense to feed into what Reggie Pearson was talking about. This is arguably, on paper, one of the most talent-laden defenses within the Big 12. Yeah, when you go from head to toe, you are exactly right. And that was the thing that jumped out to me. I mean, all the additions from the transfer portal, um, going back into the linebacker room, which I got to say, Kobe McKenzie – this is the year, Jaron Canick, throwing them to – we've got a lot of Mont- – Lewis Carter, even as a young pup, Phil is going to be stupid. Phil Pachotti is huge. It, Didn't realize that it was a ginormous. If he can have Chip Lewis? And that's so are they 6 deep linebacker? Are they 6 <laughs> At least. And then you go in and then you get McCullough and Harrington, which measurable-wise, Harrington has always been a monster. We just got to get the production, and I – since they're putting him in the best position to actually provide that. But then you go to secondary, Gentry Williams and Woody Washington with, like you mentioned, Bowman and Pearson and then Peyton Bowen and uh, Robert Spears Jennings, Key Lawrence. It's the list is long. This, this is head to toe, probably one of the best defenses we've seen in Oklahoma since honestly, Brent Venables left in what? 2011. It's pretty impressive. And to close out the defensive side before we go to the offense, it all comes down to what this defensive line is. Yes. The end of the ball. Yes. Now, I think that from what I've gathered, there are a lot of folks in Norman who think Rondell Bothroyd's going to be a dude. There's a lot of folks who think DeJon Terry's going to be a dude. And it may not show on paper, but DeJon Terry's coming and embrace things right away. I know a lot of people wanted Devon Sears on a transfer portal, right? I, I, Jordan Kelly, Ethan Downs, Isaiah Coe. Our Mason Thomas, can they take the leap forward? We can, we can keep going down. Marcus Stripling, right? All these names. That- the list goes on yeah. and on. Oh, by the way, P.J. Adamore playing football for OU this this fall. I mean, we'll tie, we just forget that. But he's another one that's come in and just like workhorsed it through all workouts. What does this defensive line do? And I feel, I feel like whether you're looking for a freshman breakout in P.J. or a transfer breakout in Rondell – or just a flat-out breakout, like Ethan Downs could realize finally all his potential in the world that he's had for years. If this defensive line emerges in the manner in which I think it can, complete game-changer in a year where Oklahoma should win nine to ten games minimum. Just my two cents. I'm in the exact same boat as you. There's no excuse for Oklahoma and Texas to not see each other in the Big 12 championship this year, period. Kansas State would be the only argument. <laughs> Luckily, we don't play them this year, but since they've been kicking our tail since the Bill Snyder era, before when Stoops first got here. So, yeah, we, we, we've hated them for years. But that's the thing. As long as, since we don't see them, 
there's no excuse for us not to face them at the end because both teams are built to do it. And before we wrap up, going into the offensive side real quick, to me, looking at this defensive line, as long as they're not leaving the secondary on the island for seven to eight seconds like we did all of last season, yeah, this is a top 40 defense. Easily. I can't say what Reggie Pearson said because he said top five. And I am not going to be knock. I told him, I apologize, young man. If you feel like your defense is top five this coming season, I'm not going to even knock you down on it. I just can't say it because I'm not in the room with y'all and I don't see everybody, but you do. But I can say top 40 and feel very comfortable with that. And if we get top 40, just like Brent Venables mentioned, top 40, we could be holding up some uh, hardware. That's where I'm at. I am down, sold on that defense 100%. We could just do that. Look, man, if it's top 50, 60 with that schedule, they're probably playing for hardware as it is. So. If we could have had that in 2017, oh, my God. That was a championship. I was in in that press box in the Rose Bowl, and that was one of the most depressing scenes I've ever seen. I was in the stadium, and I was standing next to Georgia fans, and they were really nice. They were really nice. I always just say that. Shout out, shout out, by the way, I, I have a platform, K-State, you know, I love you. Shout out. Thanks for putting me in the big 12 championship high video for y'all. Go Wildcats. And all, that stuff. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I show you Wildcats, man. Uh, let's go to the offense. What do you say? Yeah, let's dive into that because I'm curious about breaking out. We got Colin Kennedy here from 24-7 on the Sooners Illustrated site. I want to understand breakout opportunities for the offense, and this is the reason why. I don't want to go too deep into the field still uh preseason poll i'm gonna have another video out on that but his first team that he has but he put dylan gabriel and jaleel farouk as the number one quarterback and wide receiver in the big 12 coming up i look i am a dylan gabriel apologist Mm -hmm. because of one reason i understand the complexity of a jeff levy offense which means that the wide receivers probably don't know what they're doing yet. And if that's the case, you give them one summer to figure it out and they still make mistakes during the season. Yeah. I totally can. I can, I can give some grace there, but Gabriel as the top quarterback in his analytics and numbers. Fascinating piece. So I want to ask you breakout player for the offensive side of the ball. Who is jumping out to you? I would go Farouk and well, there's a, I, look, speaking of what we were talking about with guys like Desan McCullough, Reggie Pearson, who I think will be breakout candidates, potential all Big 12 teamers, I think Walter Rouse is going to have a heck of a year at Oklahoma. I think Walter Rouse has come in and embraced this program right away. He, he's become a leader in the program right away. I know a lot of people in that building believe that Bill Beanbow has been a massive fan of what Walter Rouse has done to this point to get acclimated. I think Farouk is continuously the pick that just stands out. Mm-hmm. Do I put him and Dylan Gabriel as the number one quarterback wide receiver duo? I, you know, guys at Texas might have something to say. I, you know, so at that point, I mean, I, Kansas State's got to go between tight end and quarterback. But I digress. I think Farouk, Walter Rouse, and then one of these running backs, arguably both, is going to have a really good year. Yep. It, like we for just forget them because I, I don't know. I, well, I, we expect them to be good because of what happened in the bowl game. We were like, oh yeah, no, they're 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 this may be our what our first time having back having two thousand yard rushers since was that what Mixon P 
run, possibly? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like, Adrian Peterson, Kiwan Jones era. So, like, I'm, I'm thinking it's war app. So, yeah, that's – we just kind of – oh, running backs will be fine. But, like, <laughs> Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes, especially Gavin Sawchuk's side of things, and I'm a big Gavin Sawchuk fan for more reasons than one. Like, that, Eric Gray was in this backfield last year. So, they are technically going to be players that need to break out, especially in that position. And I think mm-hmm. that they will because I just – I think the world of both of those guys on and off the field. And mm-hmm. that type of stuff translates to the running back position, i.e. Eric Gray, who when I was on the beat last time, I banged the table as Eric Gray being a take. A lot of OU fans came out and saying, eh, do we really need him? And if Eric Gray's not on that football team last year, let's talk about records even then. So Ooh, yeah. I'm just saying he was – but my thing is Eric Gray was basically like a team captain. He was, what, a 1,000-yard rusher. He made plays in the, in the passing game. I think that Sawchuk and Barnes both bring something similar to what Eric Gray brought to the table. And as a, a tandem, a thunder and lightning type, they technically have to break out, but like they're easy picks. And then I'll give you one more. Let's circle back to wrap this whole conversation up to, again, what pisses me off more than anything. The whole Bill Beatonbow can't win recruiting battles. Well, Savion Bird was real sweater down the stretch, and he was, what, top 60, 70 player in the country? Yep. And he's going to be starting for you at guard. That's one that I'm circling as, like, if he plays well, and it sounds like he's adding positive weight, he's learning more and more, he was a former highly rated recruit. People forget, too, he's been working at tackle in the past. He learns his spot at guard, and he puts on the positive weight. He's always had the natural ability. Mm-hmm. Savion Bird is one that if he breaks out alongside Walter Rouse, that left side of the offense line, shut it down. That's huge for OU in 2023. Remember this. Savion Bird was a top 30 player on ESPN's poll back in his class. So, yeah, one site gave him top 30 consensus-wise, uh, the composite about top 80. So, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely – But a Bill Beanbow can't land three players. So, what I – you know, you know, that's the rumor, Good but Lord. but even looking at like w- w- as we talk offensive line really quick, the I noticed the 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 PWOs that we got at the beginning of the year, the big linemen from like eight man ball and all the random small schools in Oklahoma, they were like mm-hmm. six seven, six eight dudes, probably weigh two hundred and fifty pounds, so they're a little mm-hmm. undersized, but you get they have the frame. If you put the put them in the room. You get him six eight three hundred, Jesus! All right, let, this is a perfect way to wrap this up too because we're talking about breakouts and, and contributors. We we haven't talked about Troy Everett like at all. No one, <laughs> no one. And Troy Everett is a football player. I like he he was playing really well at App State, and OU said, "No, no, 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 you're not going to Virginia Tech. We need you here at OU." And whether it's McCabe Metower or Andrew Rain. Troy Everett is coming in to play football at OU. He didn't and he's young. All his yeah, like he didn't spurn all those people at Virginia Tech not to play. So that's another one that like, don't you forget about Troy Everett out there, folks. He's a darn good football player, and OU wanted him bad for this exact reason. And you'll probably see why in the fall. Oh man, I'm I'm stoked about him. That's probably one of the players that on the transfer side that him and Caleb Schaefer. I was like, 
they're going to walk in and do some special stuff in either a rotation or as a starter. They're going to play, and we know they're going to get the snaps in. That was the one thing I like that Phil still mentioned about because he has OU's line ranked as fourth in the country, fourth or sixth in the country in his, on his book. And the big thing was is that we've got over 170 snaps now with these veterans coming in as transfers because our line is young. We have a young line. Losing those vets we just lost in, in Wanye Morris and Anton Harrison. I mean, you, you start losing vets, you start to see, oh, yeah, we, we need to you – know, we need actual – starts career starts at the collegiate level to really do something and bring those transfers in was was huge so colin man i appreciate you pulling up here on the channel thank you so much for uh i know everything's crazy right now big 12 media dates coming up man thank you again no nah, this has been awesome we'll do it again sometime soon y'all be sure to subscribe to this channel he pumps out great content he's doing an outstanding job covering especially on the fan side of things what's going on at ou and hey you want to come join us at sooners illustrated you can either sign up month-to-month -month basis for a month, or listen to this. You sign up for an annual plan, you get Paramount Plus streaming for free. So, my wife and I have been watching a whole bunch of SpongeBob to start our days. <laughs> it comes free with your subscription at Sooners Illustrated, plus complete access to 24-7 Sports and CBS. So, this was Dude. fun, man. I really appreciate your time and, and having me on. This was a blast. Oh, yeah, man, I appreciate it again. And we'll, uh, like I said, we'll talk soon, especially fall camp. I We definitely got to bring you back around fall camp time so we can really prepare for the season, man. So thanks.